Why do the Phillies suck at bullpen? Will Hector Neris ever close out a game again? What about Joaquin Benoit? Why wasn't he closer to begin with? We'll answer all those questions, or try to at least. We'll also talk Jeremy Hellickson. We'll talk about the Chicago Cubs. Phillies play a big series against him this week. We'll talk to a big Cub fan about his defending world champions. All that and more this week on the Phillies Nation Podcast. Phillies Nation, welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, episode six. My name is Tim Malcolm. I'm the editorial director of philliesnation.com. Go to philliesnation.com for news, rumors, information, opinion, and more on the Philadelphia Phillies. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash philliesnation. Twitter at philliesnation. Instagram at philliesnation underscore. And the podcast can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker. And then later, I believe it hasn't come up yet, but we are in the works, iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. It can also be found on YouTube at Phillies Nation at youtube.com slash Phillies Nation. Comes out every Monday, usually around noon, sometimes earlier, sometimes later. We'll try to get up earlier if we can. Today's show is fun. We have Mike Sadowski coming on to talk about... A, Jeremy Hellickson, and how well he's pitched this year. Really good season he's having. And the big test this week in the Chicago Cubs. Kind of a barometer week for the Phillies, who have been playing basically 500 baseball this season. And it'll be interesting to see how they play against the defending world champions. Our guest this week also has a lot to say about that team. If you know the term Yacht Rock, you will know this guy. If you don't know the term Yacht Rock, you might not know this guy. I, full disclosure, work with the guys who have done the Yacht Rock video series. If you don't know what that is, you should Google Yacht Rock and go to YouTube and find it. It's really amazing stuff. It's a hilarious uh, video series that came out 11 years ago. The guys who did that have a podcast. One of the guys, the guy who does the hosting of the Yacht Rock video series and who is on the podcast, Beyond Yacht Rock, is on with us today, Hollywood Steve Huey. The Hollywood is uh, sort of a joke, but he is a Hollywood guy, and he lives in Hollywood, so I guess it's not a joke. And he's a huge Cubs fan, so he'll be talking with me today about his Chicago Cubs, his defending world champion Chicago Cubs. And pretty far away from that is your 2017 Philadelphia Phillies, who it was a really interesting week. I mean, it seems like every week there's really interesting stuff to talk about, and you know, this team was last week we got on the podcast and we're very excited about a 500 ball club. And we wondered, could this team sort of be a 500 ball club or better this year? And I said, you know, they're probably going to be about a 500 ball club, you know, somewhere around there, maybe a couple games under, probably a couple games under if, if anything, And they came into this week against the Miami Marlins, a team that, to me, looks kind of like a 500-ball club, too. Sometimes a little bit worse, sometimes a little better. And the Phils played well. Two out of three games were played. One was rained out, and they won both. They looked good in those games. The pitching was quite good. They had a great strategy for Giancarlo Stanton. The offense was timely, got some big hits. Michael Franco was, again, sort of 
in his element, another grand slam. And then they went to L.A. And you could kind of telegraph it. You know, going to L.A. on a Friday night after a Thursday win against Miami, that's, that's a big trip, and that's a lot of miles, and that's a lot of energy wasted. And the Phillies kind of came out on Friday a little bit wasted themselves. They didn't necessarily look crisp. They lost 5-3. to three. They never seemed to – they had an early lead, but they kind of squandered that one quickly, and it never seemed like they were in full control of the game. Jared Eichhoff pitched fine, but not well enough. It was one of his worst outings, I think. But he wasn't terrible, but he didn't pitch great. And Saturday, they should have won that game. They really should have won that game. That was a really bad, bad, bad loss. I mean, I thought after the game, look, Eflin pitched quite well, and... Boy, isn't it nice to have him in this rotation pitching quality starts, getting outs, not going, not not laboring himself, pitching good games. And the offense got some timely hits, right? Not a lot, but they got enough in that game. Big home runs from Brock Stasi and the first major league home run for Andrew Knapp. And Knapp needs more time out there, by the way. Cameron Rupp, I'm telling you, I know he's getting some hits lately, but he got picked off on Sunday. And I'm, I'm telling you, the, the play calling, I, I think, could be a lot better. And I know Rupp is still sort of in a developmental stage himself. Catchers dev- develop longer, but something about him, I, I want to see Knapp out there a, a lot more. I just do. I don't know if Rupp is really going to ever be a first division catcher. Maybe a second division catcher. I think really he's at best a starting catcher for the 30th best team in baseball or 25th best team in baseball, which is basically what he's been. I think we need to see more of Knapp this year. I don't think Knapp's the future. I think Alfaro definitely is, and he's not going to be up here until September probably. But you need to see what else is out there. And if Knapp, you know, there's a future for him to be either a trade chip or a guy off the bench who can club a home run or an extra base hit, then get him out there. I, I don't know about Cameron Rupp. I really don't. It's still early, but I don't. I just don't know. But that game on Saturday, I don't, I don't get too mad about relief pitchers blowing games for this team because relief pitching is not the most important thing for a team that's at best probably a 500 team. They're just not a big deal. But I'll tell you this. Joaquin Benoit should have never been removed from the closer role because he gave up a home run to Bryce Harper. What is that it? Is that the reason? I mean, Neris looks like he's trying too hard. He's trying to thread the ball in there, and guys are clouting it. What's going on here? Stop making closer a big freaking deal. Put Benoit back there because he has the experience. Naris is in his late 20s. He's not part of the future of this team. I mean, if he is, then he is. But really, he probably isn't. Get the experienced guy back out there. Let him close the games. And concentrate on the hitters who are developing and the starting pitchers who are developing. Don't worry about the bullpen. Make the bullpen the most experienced, most cut-and-dry bullpen you can find. Benoit in the ninth. Naris if he's hot, Naris if he's not, don't put him in there as much. 
Nishek can be in there a lot because he's experienced. I kind of like an approach of not having a closer to begin with, but you know what? If nobody can really get the outs in the ninth inning, then go with the guy who's done it before, and that's Joaquin Benoit. No, no more of this for Pete McCann. I mean, honestly, the last thing the Phillies need with a developing team of young players is to blow three or four games and be a game out of 500 because of that. They could be, I don't know, 14 and and 9 or 14 and 7 or 8 right now, whatever the record is, because they have blown so many games, they're not. And they're now 11 and 12. It's just, it's ridiculous. So now they have the Cubs. We'll talk about that quite a bit today. Four-game series in Wrigley. Big series, but not a big series because the team is going to be somewhere around 500 or maybe worse than that. And, you know, you just want to see how they stack up. It doesn't mean a lot for playoff positioning or anything like that. But this is a big series because we got to see what kind of team we have here. Is this really a team that's going to contend and, and hang out with some good teams? Or are they going to lose 13 to 4. That can't happen. We need better results this week and it needs to be clean and crisp. No more errors, no more bad baseball. Let's get going here. Let's be simple. Let's get to the point here. Let's stop flailing over ourselves. Let's have some good baseball. Let's see if we can do it here against the Cubs. And real quick before we move on to the next segment, I did want to mention the big news over last week nationally in sports. ESPN laid off hundreds of people. I don't know the exact number, but they laid off a ton of people. One of those people, in fact, two of those people were very close to sort of Phillies land. One is Doug Glanville. The other is Jason Stark. And we, uh, if you listen to this podcast, we had Stark on the show, in fact, a couple weeks ago, just two weeks ago. I just want to mention real quick that um, I think it's no secret, and I've talked about it, that Jason Stark is one of my biggest influences in writing, in sports journalism, and sports commentary. There are few writers and few baseball minds out there like Jason Stark. He's a genius with prose and how it connects with us because he finds the minute and the to some people uninteresting and makes them unbelievably interesting. And he does it all by being one of the warmest, sweetest people you've ever met. Every time I've dealt with Jason, he's been really, really amazing to me as if we've been long lost friends and he's been talking to me forever. And that is something that you don't find in a lot of people. I think it's a real shame that ESPN laid him off. I know it's business and things happen and nothing was probably his fault at all, but it's still a shame. And I know he'll get a job, and he'll do great wherever he's going next, but it's a big, big blow. And I just want to say on behalf of Phillies Nation that we're always here for Jason, and and we're pulling for him, and we believe in him and his work, and we love everything he does, so hopefully he'll land on his feet pretty soon. I know he will. But it was a huge blow for, I think, all of us in, in Philly's land and Philly's nation this past week when we heard of that news. And, um, you know, for for us to have him on the show two weeks ago and for me to be able to talk to him and have a great conversation with him, it was an honor. And hopefully we can do that again soon. Um, but, boy, ESPN, I think, really made a tough and, and probably bad move 
by uh, letting Jason Stark go because that's that's someone you want to have reporting for you every day. Really, really great mind. Well, let's move on and let's talk Jeremy Hellickson. So this is where I tell you that I am an idiot uh, and I feel terrible, but hopefully this is the last time this will happen. But I interviewed... Mike Sadowski on Sunday evening about Jeremy Hellickson and then the Cubs series. And then I played back the audio later in the night and it was absolutely atrocious. It was distorted. It was too loud. I have no idea how it happened. It might've been something with the Skype hookup and, and how it recorded the call. Cause the other interviews were totally fine and they've all been fine. But Skype gave me this weird message when I started the call with Mike and that should have been my warning, but <laughs> my, hopefully Mike, We'll uh, get on the podcast again later because, boy, we've had a fun time getting together to do interviews. But I wanted to really quick just tell you about some of the things that we talked about in those interviews. First, Jeremy Hellickson, and I'll talk about the Cubs later on today. But Jeremy Hellickson, he's pitching great right now, right? He has a 1.80 ERA, 4-0. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball, really, as far as stats are concerned. He is one of the best. There are smoke and mirrors, right? He's only struck out 11 batters this year. His walks are down, which is great. He's pitching a contact, and some of that contact is pretty lucky. It's going to fielders, and fielders are making good plays. He's also pitched relatively shallow into games. He's only really gone to the sixth inning. He did go into the seventh inning twice. He did go seventh inning, seven innings twice already this year, which is great. But he does get considerably worse when you get to the sixth and seventh innings when he faces a team the third time around in the order. So there's a lot of smoke and mirrors with Jeremy. His fielding independent percentage is around 3.7, so much more in line with what he's used to, and that's something that Mike Sadowski brought up to me. And I don't think we should expect Jeremy to have this amazing Cy Young sort of season. I think he's probably more going to fall back into that 3 ERA that we've been used to from him. What does that mean? Well, I think he could be a trade chip. I think he's someone that we should really hope the Phillies dangle around July. And because of the qualifying offer mess that they got into last year, it's really under the Phillies' best interest to try to trade him for something. Now, I don't know if they're going to get anything of huge value. Hopefully, they get sort of an everyday player or a starting pitcher of some sort. But chances are that might not happen. Jeremy just makes a lot of money and would be expecting a bigger contract next year. And his stuff isn't necessarily stuff that gets you $20 million on a contract. That said, Jeremy's been great. He's been a mentor to a lot of these young starters. He's been great to have around. He loves being in Philadelphia. I think he's someone that really has helped the Phillies at a huge level over the past season and a half. But hopefully, if he continues up sort of a decent enough year with getting guys out quickly and hit it and pitching to contact and pitching to outs and not trying to toil too much and getting through to the sixth inning of games, that's going to be big, right? And hopefully that continues enough so that by June, July, they can get something for him. Cause I think this really is a place where the Phillies should capitalize in the market and get something for Jeremy Hellickson. Even if it's relief pitching that that can help them in two years, I think that could be enough, and that is a good return on investment. He's been great, but I think the Phillies should try to cash in on Jeremy as the year goes on. Again, apologies to Mike Sadowski for not... uh, I'm sorry, Mike. The audio was terrible. 
but we'll get you back on hopefully next week if you're okay with it. That said, let's move on and let's uh, continue on to talk about the Cubs series as they host the Phillies this week at Wrigley Field. Well, the Phillies' opponent this week is the Chicago Cubs. Your defending world champion Chicago Cubs. That's something. Yeah. That, the guy, the guy I'm talking to, just cheered. I don't know if you heard that. It's uh, first time you could say that uh, in, in how many years, Steve? 108. 108 years. That that is the voice of Hollywood Steve Huey. You may know him from a bunch of things. First, he and a bunch of guys did a video series called Yacht Rock on the internet about 11 years ago. It's hilarious, and you should watch it. If you haven't, it's about the music of Michael McDonald, Kenny Loggins, and many more uh, rock and pop artists of the late 70s and early 80s. And they parlayed that into a popular podcast called Beyond Yacht Rock. You should also listen to that and subscribe. You do so many other things. But what do you want to be known for, Steve? Uh, man, uh, what do I want to be known for? This isn't like... This isn't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Steve, Steve was the host of the, of the Yacht Rock uh, web series, and he would... Uh, begin every episode with, hi, I'm Hollywood Steve, and, and all that stuff. Um, you caught me doing something or other. That's right. I'm never expecting you. Because <laughs> it's written in the script. Um, <laughs> but Steve, you are obviously a big Cubs fan, and I wanted to talk to you about being a Cubs fan because the Phillies are playing them, and of course last year was such an amazing year. First God, off, it's so great. <laughs> yeah. For, for, first off, when did you become, because you're from Michigan originally, correct? Yes. Uh, well, I did not. I was not born in Michigan, though. My parents are both from Illinois. My mom grew up in the suburbs of Chicago near O'Hare Airport. Uh, my dad grew up in a, a small town outside of Peoria called Pekin, which is kind of noted for uh, their uh, racism. Uh, but <laughs> my dad is not racist at all. He's uh, he's very liberal and um, he's a history professor. He, though, this is the great family shame. Uh, he, because he grew up in, uh, about halfway in between Chicago and St. Louis, he picked the Cardinals as his team. Oh. And the Cubs are his second favorite team. Oh. Uh, most people are not on board with that kind of uh, sports bigamy. Like, my mom tries to root for the Bears and the Packers at the same time because her brother lives in a suburb of Milwaukee. So my family has this weird thing, like, oh, yes, I can root for the hated rival just as almost as much. And I, I don't get that. I love hating the Cardinals and the Packers. It's, uh, it, it feeds the soul in times of need. Um, anyway, uh, my parents are both from Illinois. I was born in Washington State while my dad was at grad school right, uh, right. studying history. And then after that, we lived in Texas for a couple of years, Louisiana for a few years, uh, no real rootable sports teams there. Like maybe the New Orleans Saints, but they were so bad at that time that you know if you weren't born in Louisiana, you didn't give a shit. Uh, so I just kind of adopted the Cubs and the Bears uh, as my teams. And then um, the first Cubs game I ever went to was in 1985. So I wasn't on. I was just. Ooh. I just barely missed the heartbreak of 1984. Yeah. And. Uh, was it at Wrigley, the first game? 
Yeah, I went to my grandmother, uh, who re- she retired uh, near where my mom grew up. Uh, she was able to get discounted Cubs tickets through her workplace. So once a summer from like 85 to 92 or 93, something like that, uh, she would just we'd go visit her in Illinois and she'd take us to a Cubs game. And what was that like seeing Wrigley for the first time? I mean, at the time, I didn't really... It was all so new to me. I didn't quite understand the tradition or the history. It was just like, oh, here's a cool ballpark. I'm going to get into baseball now. I'm going to be into <laughs> baseball. I was, I'd been playing Little League for a couple of years, and I was terrible at it, but I, I found that I enjoyed watching baseball much more than playing it. It just seemed a lot safer. Mm-hmm. Nothing... Nothing coming at my head. Nothing I had to react to very quickly. And uh, I, I, I will say, when I played little league, there was uh, we had we also had girls on the team, and we had a girl who played outfield, and she got smacked in the eye with a baseball uh, fly ball that she could not catch. Oh. And apparently, she wanted to be a model. Oh, and that pretty much damaged. I mean, it didn't, but you know, at the time, it pretty much damaged all of her hopes and aspirations for the future. Oh. And that's why you should never engage in exercise or physical activity. That's right. Sit on the couch all day long. Yep. So so you weren't aware of what was going on with the Cubs. When did you become aware that the Cubs were the Cubs? Hmm. I mean, when I, when I first started getting into baseball, I would do the thing that I usually did as a kid, which is read everything I could get my hands on about it. So I came to under, like, oh, we haven't won since... 1908, we haven't even been to the World Series since the end of World War II. And at the time, that seemed like forever, you know, like in, in 1945, that's 10 years before rock and roll. Rock and roll's always been around, and now, uh, you know, it's like 30 years after that, and we still hadn't won anything. So it just, it just starts to feel like one of those things that always was, always is, and always will be. Did, did you as a Cubs fan buy into the lovable part of it? Were you like, no, I want to crush my enemies okay. and, <laughs> and hear their lamentations and all that shit. <laughs> I, <laughs> when I, 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 I've been, I've played like pub trivia for uh, a, a number of years. And uh, once, once I'm on a team and we get established at a particular venue, we're, we tend to be viewed as the villains because we win a fair amount of the time. I know that feeling. And, that feeling is so goddamn delicious. Oh my god! I just wanna, uh, it's, like if you get if you if you get double or nothing on a round that nobody else can get, it's like all the air just lets out of the room like a balloon just popped, and it's such a sweet, wonderful, <laughs> dominant feeling, and it's amazing. I love it. That's what I want for the Cubs. I want the Cubs to be like my adopted hockey team, the Detroit Red Wings. Or everybody gets so goddamn sick of them winning. Ah, oh, fuck the Cubs, man. I'm <laughs> over this shit. Like, fuck you. We got five out of six, motherfucker. <laughs> Pick it up for lost time. Yeah, I mean, I, I know. I'm totally with you. I would love dominance. And we had that run back in 2007 to 11 where it seemed like every year the Phillies were an instant World Series contender. And yes. then they fell short. So... So you, you did would, get one though. We got one, yes. One in your lifetime, and that's that's what we were asking for for so long. Just I just want one, one before I die. And now that we've got one, I feel like 
you know, there's that Daffy Duck cartoon where he gets uh, framed for laying a golden egg, and then the gangsters capture and want him to lay one for them, and he, they finally, they put a gun against his head, and, like, he's about to die, and he just all of a sudden shits out a golden egg, and he's like, whoa, you don't know what you can do until you got a gun against your head, and then he tries to leave, and the gangsters uh, stop him and point a gun at him again, and like, just uh, they gesture to a room piled full of egg cartons, and they're like, "Just a minute, duck, <laughs> fill them up." That's how I feel right now about uh, the the good young core the Cubs have. I just want uh, I want as many golden eggs out of that as we can possibly get. Well, let let me go back to sort of growing up, and I mean they didn't even make the World Series, let alone barely ever made the playoffs when you were. I mean. The first time they made the playoffs was what eighty nine, I guess in your in your fanhood. Is that right? Did they make it eighty nine. Yeah, it was the first one, and then there was uh, some really lean years, and then we uh, we we made it in ninety eight, um, and then there was two thousand three, and uh, we were still contenders for a bit after that. We we won the division in oh seven and oh eight, and then just flopped flat in the playoffs. Yeah, I remember those years. Yep, yep, yep. I actually remember in 2008, the Cubs had the best record in the National League, and the Phillies went to Wrigley for maybe a four-game set, because typically the Phillies play a four-game set in Wrigley. And it was pretty... I, I remember watching at the time and thinking to myself, these two teams should meet in the NLCS. They seem like the most evenly matched, most well-played teams in baseball. And this was maybe like mid-June or something like that, so you could mm-hmm. get a sense of that. That was that was a sad that was a sad couple of years because the the Cubs did have a lot going on like Kasuke Fukudome was uh, pretty pretty good at that time I remember yeah. he had like that half season where he went he to the had a half season, season. <laughs> and then uh, I don't know what the hell I the, just the bottom fell out and and then of course and then Theo comes in last couple of years are you are you completely buying that it's him he's the reason absolutely. And, I mean, they, it, it did take also the Tribune Company finally selling the team and getting some ownership in there that was willing to just rebuild from the ground up. Um, the Tribune Company, for a long time, like, you know, they're, they're, their philosophy was just, well, we're going to get attendance no matter what. Why do we need to spend a lot of money on the team? And towards the end of their stewardship, uh, such as it was, uh, they started to get a lot of bad publicity about how badly they neglected the team, just hadn't put in the effort to win. They were, people started to get, you know, a little. They started to take it a little personal. Like, All right, we're just gonna, we're going to try. On our way out, we're going to actually try. And that was the Jim Hendry years, and uh, you know, they tried, and they they just what what, what we found when Theo and uh, Tom Ricketts took over was just. So much of the, about the team's operation had not been modernized yet. Like the scouting department was still, uh, it needed a lot of beefing up. They needed to incorporate a lot of the more modern statistical analysis. And before they could build a winner, they had to just rebuild all of that stuff, like just all the the foundational stuff that uh, you know isn't headline grabbing or sexy. It's not gonna. It's not going to get fans really excited about, oh, here's a hot new prospect. He's going to come up and save us. <laughs> Just kind of the mentality we had for a long time. It was all it was all quick fixes for the most part. Like, we, you know, you, you fall into that trap of we haven't won in so long. We can't take the time to do it right. We've got to just 
we got to throw everything we've got right now at it. And that's why a lot of those playoff appearances felt so fluky, is it was just kind of lightning in a bottle, and you didn't end up with a sustained... Uh, you didn't end up with a model for sustained success. And arguably, the, the, the exception to that was the 2003 team, because it was built on the kind of good young pitching that we really never had as long as I'd been watching the team. Sure. But the problem with pitching is that it's very fragile. Yes. And you can't necessarily keep your awesome rotation healthy from one year to the next. I mean, look what happened to the Mets just from 2015 to last year. They lost like half their guys to injury. And they're still suffering right now. Yeah, and they haven't built up the offense to compensate yet. So, you know, it's, it's there's... I, I do feel like Theo is taking the right approach in building around uh, good, young, powerful position players that'll be around for a few years, and then filling in the pitching where he can get it. Um, it's, you know, I mean, obviously that's going to have potential pitfalls too, but at least we've got a young core that will be around and can win for a few years. Like we've got a window, right? And it's wide open. Yes, and. It's funny because in Philadelphia right now, we're going through that four times over because we have four sports (laughs) franchises that are all in rebuilding stages, and some are doing it definitely from the ground up. And in the Sixers' case, they exploded an entire city, and they're starting to rebuild some of the buildings. Um, In in the Flyers' case, it's a little bit – Trust the process, Tim. Trust the process completely. I'm on board with it. Um, I've been on board for years. But that's what I wanted to ask you is – as a Cub fan who, when you saw Theo Epstein come in and the ownership say, all right, we're going to rebuild from the ground up, it's going to take a few years, because you'd been there for so long and seen all the bad and sort of seen those fluky playoff teams, you must have had a lot of rope for yourself to say, I don't care, I'm going to watch a couple years of really bad baseball, and that's going to mean a playoff team in five or six years. That's okay. Yes, I was totally on board with that. Every- Everything that they were saying about rebuilding from the ground, I was like, yes, you're finally going to do it right. Like, you're not going to blow $140 million or whatever on Alfonso Soriano and get maybe <laughs> three good years out of him. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I'm, a big, I'm a big truster of the process, and, uh, like, everything they were saying just sounded right out. Like, yes, this is how you, you, you pay attention to detail. You take care of all these little things. You just make it, you just build a solid foundation, and then you start getting fancy on top of that. Uh, it just, it jived very well with the, just the way that I think about how you do things out in the world, I guess. Uh, so, and, and I was also, at the time, I was, uh, I found a couple blogs that covered the Cubs minor league system in, in pretty good detail, and so I was reading about all these prospects they had down at triple-A, double-A, single-A, and they, I, I had a pretty good idea of what the upcoming cast of characters might include, and it just sounded really exciting. Like, I was watching the beginning of a story that was going to take a while to unfold, but I was in at the ground level, and I was going to, you know, maybe... I may, maybe, maybe I can... It's, it'll be like a four- or five-year movie that I'm watching, like... Uh, like the sports version of Boyhood, for example. <laughs> and it happened faster than I thought. I thought maybe this year or next year would be 
when all these young guys would come up and finally like get enough experience under their belts to to really take us somewhere. But they 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 arrived a year or two ahead of schedule, so yeah. Uh, now it's it's all gravy. Yeah, I, and I, it's it's an interesting thing because Philadelphia fans and media, I think, are more quick to jump and say, "Well, wait, why can't we win now?" And I think they've been relatively patient with all the processes happening in the city right now, mm-hmm. but there is sort of this, you know, antsy sort of, you know, paranoia that happens in the city. Did, did that happen in Chicago with the Cubs? Were there a lot of people speaking out against this, or was it like all the way through everybody said, well, no, this is a guy who's been there before, they know what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera? I think the biggest issue, uh, the Chicago media was not necessarily on board with it, and with them it was a paranoia that the Ricketses were just blowing smoke up everybody's asses and they weren't actually going to try. Okay. Like It wasn't until they signed John Lester to a big-money contract that people started to buy in a little bit more because before that, like, Oh, they're just tanking because they're a bunch of cheapskates <laughs> and they don't want, they don't like, they're just going to be even worse than the Tribune coming. Like, Oh yeah, we'll pay lip service to trying to win, but we're actually just going to, you know, fuck everything up and not try or we're going to, uh, yeah. It's, and plus the Chicago media tends to get a lot of clicks by being contrarian. Oh my. Uh, I'm sure you, 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 you out on the East Coast can uh, relate to that somewhat in your uh, your sports media. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the takes here are, are scolding hot, and yes. <laughs> it's, it's just it's insane because we try to put on podcasts that deflect from that and and knock some of those uh, takes down, but it's still very hard because they come very quick. Um, I think in Chicago too, it helps that. Uh, our icon of Cubdom is Ernie Banks, who was kind of a symbol of completely irrational optimism in the face of uh, hopelessness. Yeah. Like, we, have that, we have him setting that kind of emotional tone for uh, for the team that, you know, it, like, yeah, we have no hope, but hey, we're on board anyway. Like, this is, uh, we're committed to these uh, these losers, and we're, uh, we're actually kind of happy to, to be a part of it. And and to counter that in Philadelphia, I think Phillies fans will probably most relate to Larry Boa and Pete Rose. Yes. <laughs> so that's the complete opposite of Ernie Banks. So, it's fiery. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, now. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Why aren't you winning? <laughs> um, old school. Oh, I love old school. It's great. Um What's it like being a Wrigley? Because I've been there once, and I geeked out the entire time I was there. And I actually had some access to the field end of the clubhouse, and Ooh. yeah, yeah. And this was before the renovation, so the clubhouse was a shoebox, and literally. And you were basically changing with the players. It's it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> but but being on that field was something I'll never forget. What's it like being at the park, and what's the atmosphere like? Because people talk about it, but you know, what can you tell us that sort of clarifies some of the things that we've heard in the whispers? Oh, it's it's been a while since I've been there. I think it's I, the last time I was there was about 25 years ago. Okay, that's a long time. Yeah, it's a long time, and <laughs> and, and I you know I, obviously they've done a lot of renovations since then, just in the last few years, and there's going to be more. They're just they're finally they're modernizing it, but without losing the uh, the essence of it. Like they're they're shoring it up and making sure it can 
you know, continue to be a viable ballpark for years and years and years to come. Like they, like Theo oversaw with Fenway Park, which is another part of the reason that he got the job there. Um, but I, the, the very, the very first game I went to, uh, it went 14 innings. It was against the Cardinals and we won. And it was, it was really, really sweet to do that. And, uh, as we were leaving, uh, we saw Harry Carey coming down one of the, uh, the ramps and, uh, he was just surrounded by this pack of people and they're like, no, no, no autographs, no autographs. I got to get going. Sorry. Sorry guys. But just like being like, even just, uh, not even not having been on board with the team for that long, just, just being at that place and seeing that guy in person, like, Oh my God, all this actually exists. Three mm-hmm. is not just a thing that I see on WGN when I'm bored in the late afternoons. It's, uh, it's, like all this stuff is actually it's not the stuff of myth and legend it's it's all really there um and yeah just the uh the the feeling of like this thing has been around for for decades and like it goes back so far and then and in America we don't tend to value that sort of thing very much you know we're we're real big on tearing down the old stuff and building something shiny and new and usually corporatized and, 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 uh, it's, it's like just to have, just to have a, uh, like a living, breathing example of that kind of history and heritage is, uh, it's, uh, I heard people describe it as like a temple of baseball and it re- really kind of is that except it's not like a big fancy cathedral. It's just like, Oh, this is where people go to church. Yeah. And, and it's around. And it's in Wrigleyville, surrounded by bars and restaurants and houses, which yeah. you don't it's, get yeah, that sort of experience anywhere else in baseball, really. Right, yeah. And I was too young, obviously, to enjoy the bar scene. <laughs> I was in high school. But, uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's part of the neighborhood. It's, 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 it's the way that things were a long, long time ago, where you could just walk down to the field and... Uh, stand outside and hope somebody hit one out and you could go get the ball. Um, so obviously the best moment of your baseball life was on, uh, what was the date? October like 30th November or something 2nd. like that? November 2nd. Okay. <laughs> Much yep. later. Oh, that's right. Cause it was right before my baby was born. Um, the worst it was, moment. It was a week before Trump was elected president. So we only got a week to celebrate. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the worst baseball moment is it's got to be 2003, right? Yes, that was the like. There's a when when the Cubs blow it late. There's an actual physical feeling that happens where it's like the 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 old timey uh, samurai practice of harakiri, where you slash your own guts open with swords and just watch them fall out in a heap on the floor. Uh, that's what that. That's what I imagined that feels like. You just get this terrible kind of a feeling in your guts because you know what's happened before and you can see it starting to happen again. And that was exactly what happened to my actual body when uh, when Araldis Chapman gave up that home run in game seven. Oh, oh, God. Oh, God. Here it comes again. They're doing it again. Even these guys are going to do that again. And, uh, I mean, narrative-wise, 
you if you were going to write it, you would have had to write in a story beat where the Cubs blow a lead late again, but then come back to actually win it. And that, that whole rain delay thing, like, as far as I'm concerned, even if Jason Hayward never gets another hit for the team, he's worth $184 million or whatever it was just for giving that speech during the rain delay and settling everybody down and and helping them win. They won the World Series. Holy shit. <laughs> That's going to last for a long time. Was, the crazy thing was that the bar I was watching the game in, it was kind of a Cubs bar out here in L.A., uh, their optimism did not really waver that much. Like, I was sitting there just ready to shit my guts out, and the mood in the bar was actually not too downcast. Like, a lot of people were still into it. They are still clapping and cheering and optimistic and like wow how did how are these people keeping it together like don't they know (laughs) haven't they seen this movie before like i have yeah i mean i'll i'll say this i was pulling for the cubs the whole time in the world series just for every for you and for everybody that you know has had to live with it but there was a certain point in game seven when and it was i think when the rajai davis home run happened Mm -hmm. and i felt to myself this is just amazing, and I, I don't care at this point, actually, who wins because it's <laughs> great. It's just great. And yeah. so I don't know if there was some sort of feeling of that that was sort of clouding that traditional Cub, uh, you know, disgust and, and self-destruction and mutilation, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know. The game was so damn good that... Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, a, roller co- it was a roller coaster for sure. Um, I think... If we had lost to the Cleveland Indians, I think that would have been the least hurtful opponent to have lost to. Absolutely, of anybody. Yeah, and I, I hope that they get. I hope they get their title soon, as long as it's not against us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like uh, when that ha- when the when Rajai Davis took at least two or three years off my life. I'm I'm theorizing. Um, when that happened, my sister, who does not give a shit about baseball or sports of any kind other than ice skating and gymnastics, uh, she was even watching the game. And at that point, she just texted me, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> that, that's when you know it's serious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's... Uh... So... So in the post-World uh, Championship world, and you said you want to destroy everything in your path because now you have one. Yes. <laughs> 2017 Cubs, very quickly. They're playing well right now. They're in Mostly first place. well, yeah. Yeah. But, but, and it's a relatively, I think the division's a little bit undercooked this year. There's some kind of weird things happening in the Central. Yes. But what, what, do you, what do you think is the story the rest of the season here? Do you, do you think this is definitely a playoff team and there's not much to worry about? Where's your head? Well, you never, I, even if, even after you win a world series, you never really stop worrying. I'm, I'm less worried than, than normal. Um, because I have a lot of confidence in the, the young position players. Um, I do worry about what will happen to their pitching after this year, because Ariad is a free agent. Lackey's probably going to retire. Um, and God knows what, like, they, they, their pitching prospects in the minors are just, like, they, a lot of them are still at the, the best ones are still at the lower level, so I don't know what they're going to do exactly after this. But uh, but in terms of this year, 
I think the big questions are, uh, are they going to, is, is Kyle Schwarber going to work out as a leadoff hitter? Like we had, a, we had a very good table setter in Dexter Fowler last year. Uh, obviously he's moved on to the Cardinals and got the payday he deserved. And we're not really losing a lot defensively in center field. We have Albert Almora, who's, you know, he's been defensively ready to play in the big leagues about since the day we drafted him. And we've got Hayward, who's, um, he looks like a viable offensive major leaguer again, which is great. Um, and uh, we've got Wilson Contreras behind the plate, becoming more of the regular everyday guy. Like, how is he going to work out handling the pitching staff? I think what we've seen so far is that like a lot of our starters have been giving up a lot of early runs. We have a lot of comeback wins, which is great because we have the offense to do it, and it's very dramatic and exciting. But geez, you wish they uh, you wish they weren't giving up quite so many uh, quite so early, uh, and the bullpen hasn't quite gelled yet. Uh, but it took them a, a, a little while to gel last year too, and. You know, we have Wade Davis, so we we don't really have a, a big question mark at closer as long as he stays healthy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I feel like this is a playoff team. The question is just, like, you know, how, you know, how the little tweaks to the team might affect them in the long run. Like, is this all going to work out? Is, is, is it going to gel as well as last year? Or uh have, do the Dodgers or the Nationals or, or a team like that have what it takes to overtake us in the playoffs last year or uh, this year um and you you look at you look at the teams we played in the playoffs last year too we kind of lucked out in terms of the pitching staffs we faced because both with the Dodgers and the Indians they had one big ace and then after that there was kind of a pretty steep drop off mm-hmm. and they ended up using those aces uh you know, the Dodgers had to use up Clayton Kershaw, so by the time we were facing him in a decisive game, he had a lot less left in the tank than, you know, he wasn't quite Clayton Kershaw that game. And the same for Corey Kluber in Game 7 of the World Series. That was his third game on, you know, he's pitching on three days rest for the second time, and, you know, I, I think he was just a little bit gassed. You know, that, that game could have gone a very different way had the Indians had you know, Carlos Carrasco and Danny Salazar fully healthy, like that rotation, I think probably could have mowed us down pretty effectively. So, you know, it's just kind of, uh, once you get into the postseason, it's just kind of luck of the draw, like how deep is the other team? What are their strengths and weaknesses? How did they get this far? And um, where are they, where, where did they stay healthy? Where are they not healthy right now? Um, we had... We we were pretty lucky in terms of health, but we did have a thinner bullpen because uh, during the postseason run, uh, Pedro Strope and Hector Rondon, both our, our two best setup guys, were both coming off of fairly recent injuries, and neither of them was as effective as usual. And so you'd see Joe Madden, uh, you know, if he yanks his starter early because he thinks the guy's about to implode the options are not as uh, solid as you would like. So there was some, uh, there was some uh, nail-biting moments there, especially in Game 7. Like, do you really want... If Hendricks settled down, do you really want to pull him right now? Ah, mm-hmm. Boy, oh boy, here we go. 
Yeah, I, but it, it does sound like what you're saying and what I think we all wish to be at that point at some point soon here in Philadelphia is that it's just in the margin, some of the little things that you have to work out as yeah. the season's yeah. finishing up. And um, to I be in that mindset yeah. is really nice, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if, you, if you really geek out about the team, you're always going to be interested in those marginal details. But I think, I think big picture uh, – our window is definitely wide open for this year, and uh, uh, hopefully we can. Uh, ho- I, I would love to see a repeat. Let's get two. We 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 only win back to back. We won in nineteen oh seven and nineteen oh eight. Let's do it again. Well, the chances are good, and the chances are good that you will have some come from behind wins again this week against the Phils. I don't know <laughs> if you've been following, but their bullpen does not pitch too well in the ninth inning. Uh, that's uh, that's good for us then. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, it it'll be a fun week uh, between the Phils and Cubs at Wrigley. And thanks for coming on, Steve. I appreciate talking Cubs and. Good luck the rest of the way, and if the Phillies happen to make some magical run of the postseason this year, the luck ends there for you. So, uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on, Steve. I oh yeah, you, thank you for having me. Uh, good luck. Uh, I wish you the best on the rebuild, and trust the process. Trust the process. Thanks, Steve. All righty. As I said earlier on the podcast, I made a huge boo-boo and Mike Sadowski's interview with me was totally unlistenable and I don't want to subject the fans to that. I don't want to subject the listeners to that and I'm sorry, Mike. We did talk about the Cubs series coming up four games set at Wrigley Field starting tonight. Vince Velasquez on the hill and the Phillies are going to have a tough time. The Cubs are very good, obviously, defending world champs. They are playing decent enough baseball right now. They're not quite the Cubs right now, but they weren't quite the Cubs last year when the Phillies faced them in a series at Wrigley, and that's when they broke out and really took it to the Phillies. We hope that that doesn't happen again, but who knows? It could happen again. And to me, the key to this series really is tonight with Velasquez. If he can't get through five innings, if he labors too much and he taxes himself, We're in a position where the bullpen has to come in early. And you get Joely Rodriguez and Edubre Ramos and Janmar Gomez and Pat Neshek all having to pitch early in the game. That could be really bad for the rest of the series. The Phillies can find themselves behind really quickly here with a very good offensive team. So it's really about getting the quick outs, not sweating the singles making sure that the Cubs don't hit you with the long ball and sort of conserving and being sort of conservative on the mound. And as far as offensively, this team is having some problems right now. They're not getting big hits and big opportunities. Sometimes they're getting timely hits, but most of the time they're not. And the Cubs pitching staff, the Phillies at least don't get to face Hendricks, who has been pretty good against him. Mike Sadowski said that in our interview. But they have Jake Arrieta to deal with. They have John Lester to deal with. That said, there are two lefties that they're facing in this series between Lester and Anderson. And this is really the time for someone like Tommy Joseph to get himself going, to have some good at-bats, to get some big hits. Same with Michael Franco, who did not play well Sunday against the Dodgers. Time for him to really get some consistent at-bats going, not flail at outside pitches, as Mike Sadowski mentioned to me in the interview. It's time for Franco to get it going, 
with a more patient approach, continue to hit those line drives, get himself to a place where he's hitting 250, 260, 270 again. And now we got someone that we can rely on to get some big hits. And we're not just relying on a Cesar Hernandez hit with men in scoring position because that doesn't happen often. So the Phillies really need to think about conserving with the Cubs offense and making sure they don't get give up the big hit. And then also offensively getting better at-bats from their right-handed hitters because it's a big series for them to break out if they can. And hopefully they win two games in this series. It's going to be tough. I think they're probably more up to win one game here. But if they win two, maybe three, that's a huge win. It's a huge win for them. And then they got the Nationals after that. It doesn't get easier. It doesn't get easier for this team right now. But this is a big test this week. And it'll kind of give us a sense where the Phillies are standing, at least as far as can they compete with a team that's pretty good. We know that they compete with the Braves. We know that they compete with the Marlins. They can compete with the Mets on you know most days. Sometimes the Mets just hit them hard, although the Mets right now have a huge lot of problems in front of them with these injuries. The Phillies can compete with some teams. They can compete with the Nationals, by the way. They beat them more often than not here. But this series this week and then the National Series over the weekend will really prove to us, I think, early on where this team can stand. Can they be a team that we can kind of follow interestingly and excitedly in July, August? Or is this going to be another year like the last two where by August we're like, well, when are the prospects coming up? I think it's better than that. I think this team's better than that. And I think you'll see that this week with the Cubs series. I think this team will show that they are better than that. It. I, I hope we don't have those moments where we're like gritting our teeth because they're not getting a big hit with man in scoring position and – they're putting too many guys on base in really tough situations where the bullpen has to come in. Hopefully that is dialed down this week, and hopefully they play clean, good baseball. But it's an interesting barometer nonetheless. And depending on what happens here at Wrigley, this could set the tone for the next month or so of baseball here. Well, I'd say my thanks to Mike Sadowski for coming on the podcast. Really, thank you, Mike. I appreciate you taking the time to do the interview. I'm really sorry it didn't work out. I apologize for the 15th millionth time this week. We'll get you next week, hopefully. Also, thanks to Hollywood Steve Huey. Seriously, go to YouTube.com and look up Yacht Rock. Watch the videos. They're hilarious. They hold up today, even though they are 11 years old. They really are hilarious, hilarious videos. And also listen to the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast. You can find it on iTunes and other podcast sharing platforms. It's called Beyond Yacht Rock. The guys basically spend an hour creating artificial, arbitrary music genres, and then they count down songs in those genres, and they're hilarious, and they just riff on each other. They're, they're best friends from long time ago, so they just have a great chemistry. It's a fun, fun podcast. Beyond Yacht Rock, please listen to it. My thanks to bensound.com for the music. Please send, if you are a musician, please send your music. I would love to get it on the podcast. Please send it to at Timothy Malcolm on Twitter, Tim at philliesnation.com. If you are a local musician, we'd love to get your music on the podcast. It'd be great for you. It'd be great for us. It would be awesome. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. We would love to get some reviews. Please, please, please just go to iTunes and, and review us. Phillies Nation Podcast. That's it right there. Give us five stars. No, no other star rating will do. Okay? None. 
You can find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, and then soon, hopefully, on uh, iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. Also on YouTube, youtube.com slash philliesnation, philliesnation.com, facebook.com slash philliesnation, Twitter, at philliesnation. We love tweeting, and you'll love to follow us. And Instagram, at philliesnation underscore. Awesome stuff. Big series this week against the Cubs, right? Meanwhile, Reese Hoskins is straight clubbing the ball. Uh, still hot after starting the season hot. He's at a 1.063 OPS. He's got six homers on the year. If there's any position in the Phillies system that is up for grabs at the major league level, it's probably first base. And I think Hoskins is getting closer to making his point. We'll see what happens. Long season. Who knows? But that's your update on, on Reese Hoskins and the rest of the minor leaguers. Phillies Asia podcast. Cubs. Big week. Wrigley. We'll be at you next week to talk about hopefully a win or two or three or four and maybe more over the weekend. See you next week. Tim Malcolm, Phillies Asia podcast. Later. Later.